Today's message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Pastor Jason Swanson is our senior pastor here at RBC, and this message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning service times. Pastor Jason is currently in a series he's calling a walk through the book of Acts, Jesus at Work. Today Jason is in part 14 of his series in the walk through the book of Acts. Today he's in chapter 3, verses 11 through 16, in his sermon entitled, The Power of Jesus' Name. Let's join Jason. Well, good morning. I am Pastor Jason, and welcome to Rancho Baptist Church. We are continuing our study through the book of Acts. And as I was beginning to to prepare this sermon at the beginning of the week and and kept thinking about, honestly, this idea of, of gazing upon Jesus, I kept asking myself, man, how good am I at giving people a glimpse of Jesus as they look at me? Or does it become all about me? Or do I actually stand in the way sometimes of them truly looking at Jesus and and as, as if to give me a practical example that I could share with you all, we, we had a, a little family night on Thursday. And, and, and my lovely wife Shannon came up with this wonderful plan of, of taking off and going to the beach and taking our dogs, which are two huskies, which is a formidable task, and our whole family and going to Dana Point and cruising around and just having a great time as a family. And, 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 and of course, I was excited about that. So, so we took off and, and we headed that direction. And I could tell right away, well, I'm not certain this is going to work out the way that I thought it was going to work out because it was getting darker and darker. And I thought, man, by the time we get there, it might actually already be dark. And I'm not sure there's going to be any lights on any of the boats and how this is going to go. And the, and the kids are now not quite as excited as they were when we started. And they hear where we're going and, and, and this and that. And we get there and the Lord's good to us. And we have a good time as a family and we decide, well, maybe we'll get a little bit of ice cream on our way out. But by the time we got back to, to where the shop was for ice cream, it, it, it closed. And so the kids are, oh, that's okay, Dad. We can still go to McDonald's. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that McDonald's is just cheaper anyways. And, and, and so we so we take off back here towards Temecula and, and as we're going, a, a little disturbance starts happening in, in, in the back seat. And it's directing towards Shannon and I because we're trying to mess around with this new stereo in, in, in our new car. It's not a new car, but it's a new car to us. And we don't really know what we're doing. And, and, and one of my sons in the back, he's obviously getting frustrated with mom and dad messing with the radio. And I don't know, but the radio actually is on his phone. So he's trying to turn it off and I'm turning it back on. And, and we're fighting like that with, with each other without me even really knowing it. And then he starts getting on me a little bit more. And I, and I, and I turn around and I go, okay, just shut up. And, and for you, it, it might seem funny. For me, it was a, ugh, a dagger. Why? Because for me to say that, for, for the Swansons, that's like a cuss word. When I get to that point, I'm frustrated and I'm angry. And, and I'm not accurately representing Jesus. And, and I say this to let you know that if you guys thought you got a perfect pastor, you did not. <laughs> Nor did, did you get a perfect family with us. We, we are full of holes. 
And, and in fact, I, I think the church is better represented as a hospital full of sick people than anything else. By God's grace, He's changing us. And, and, and that night, it was, man, it, it was lame. I Praise the Lord, I asked for forgiveness. But the damage was done. And from that point on, driving back, even McDonald's didn't fix it. Because from that point on, it was, it was just kind of a downer time. And I, and I think... Man, how many times do I stand in the way of what God wants to do in accurately representing Jesus? Turn with me to Acts chapter 3. And, and, and what we're going to see today is we're going to see a man who accurately represents Christ that, that he's given an opportunity actually to boast in himself. He's given an opportunity to let everybody keep looking at him. And instead of doing that, he redirects everybody's focus onto the Lord Jesus Christ which is something we all need to do. So, follow along with me as I read out loud. We're we're only going to get from 11 to 16 today. In a a sermon that I've entitled, The Power of Jesus' Name. Verse 11, While he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the Prince of Life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in His name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man, whom you see and know, and the faith which comes through Him has given Him this perfect health in the presence of you all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word and how powerful it is. For the testimony of Your Word and how You change lives. We may not all be able to say that we have been dramatically changed like this paralyzed man was, Lord, but spiritually we have been dramatically changed. We once were dead, and those of us that know You as our Lord and Savior, we are now living. We are alive. And we thank You for that. And we pray that Your Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth now. That this would be about You and all about You, and that You would direct our eyes and our gaze upon You, Lord Jesus, and that we would truly behold Him in all of His glory. In Jesus' precious name, Amen. So the, the first thing that, that we need to discuss and, and, and understand is, is giving us a little bit of a, of a backdrop as to What's happening here? Because you'll, you'll notice that this is going to seem very, very familiar. And that's because the, the similarities between Peter's first sermon and his second sermon are many. There's many things that are alike. Be, beginning with, with the miraculous sign gift. As back in chapter 2, before Peter starts to preach, what happens? The, this gift of, of, of languages, right? This gift of tongues is is displayed vividly in front of everybody and and gathers them together. Now we're going to see very similar, a miraculous sign gift of healing brings together this group. And and that's the next thing that we see that are in, that's in common. That 
that a group is gathered. And that God is the one orchestrating this group, bringing them together. And the first thing that Peter does in both of these occurrences is to make a correction. Back in chapter 2, the correction was they thought that, oh, obviously these guys are drunk. That's why they're doing this. And here the correction is, oh, obviously this power is you, Peter. This is your power somehow. And he's going to correct that. We see that Jesus' death and resurrection was highlighted in chapter 2. We're going to see that in this sermon as well, just as in the first sermon. Not only His death and His resurrection, but the exaltation, that aspect of the fact that after He ascended, God exalted Him. We saw that in, in, in the second sermon. We're going to see that in this sermon. We're going to see too the witness of the apostles. That they were actually there. That they were eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection. And, and then we're going to see that, that the responsibility of the Jews for Jesus' death will also be presented. And actually it's, it's keyed in even more and, 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 and tightened more upon their hearts as to the fact that they do indeed play a part in what happened to Jesus Christ. And, and finally, next week, we're going to see these two aspects that, that are very similar. We're going to see some Old Testament quotations that, that Peter throws out, and we're going to see this call for repentance. But in, in all of that, there are some differences as well. We, we can't think that this is exactly the same. Peter nuances a, it a little bit. And as we look at, as we're going to look at this sermon, we're going to see that there's quite a bit of emphasis placed on faith. And, and that emphasis on faith wasn't there in, in, in his first sermon. And then we're going to see some, some new names, some new titles for Jesus given. As he's referred to as the servant, the holy one, the righteous one, the author of life. And, and, and next week we'll, we'll see that, that he's referred to as a prophet like Moses. And I think the easiest way to break this down, I've put this in your notes, as far as an outline, as far as kind of the way that this section's off, I think it's very similar to what, what we've seen before, that this pattern that Peter establishes and that God is, is bringing about, he, he brings it about here as well. And that is first we're going to see the gathering, and then we're going to see the correction, and then finally we're going to see the proclamation. And, and the proclamation is, is, is basically what's involved in his sermon, what he preaches on. But let's take a look first at the gathering. Verse 11. While he was clinging to Peter and John, and, and who's the he there? It's, it's, the, it's the, the lame beggar who is now no longer lame. All the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. So we, we kind of take it midstream here. All of a sudden, we, we, we see that this, this man that was healed is, is clinging to, to Peter and John, and, and we don't know exactly what's transpired, but we know that they are no longer inside the temple area. That, that they have indeed come out of that, that gate called Beautiful that we looked at last week. And we don't know how much time has happened, but a big group has gathered. And in fact, in, in the Greek, this, that, 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 that this group ran together. All of that is in the, in the single paradigm. So, it, so it's not in the plural form. It's, it's looking at this group as one great big body. 
And I, and I wonder if what happened was is they actually went in and they worshipped. And they prayed and they spent time with one another and now it's time for them to leave. And Peter and John are, are, are leaving and, and what happens? This guy's following them along and he's, and he's literally clinging to them. That means to, to, to use one hand, one's hands to establish a, a close contact. Even more than that, it's holding someone so that that person cannot get away. I believe what's going on is that, that he's, man, he doesn't want to let go of them for fear of what's going to happen. That he, he wants to hear more. He wants to understand more. And so he doesn't want to let them go. Rather than running back home or doing this or doing that, he's, he's holding on to them. And then it gives us as more of the setting to, to what's going on and where this is going on. So not just who is involved and, 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 and what manner is, is going on that he's clinging to him, but, but it says exactly wh- where they were meeting. And this place is called the Portico of, of Solomon. And it's known to be on the east side of the temple grounds and, and it's kind of as, as you're leaving, but it's a great big area. And, and really what it is, is it's, it's like a veranda. It's a roofed colonnade that has one side that's open. And there's many people that, that go in and, and, and give lots of detailed account as to why this is called Solomon's Colonnade. And, and most historians believe that this doesn't go all the way back to Solomon. So it's hard to know exactly why they started calling this Solomon's Colonnade. And, and I don't know that the name is so important as it is that this place is something that we know a little bit about because Jesus often came here. Turn, turn with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10 verses 22 to 31. And, and let me just unpack this a little bit so that we can see some of the background because I think this is important to add weight and significance to what Peter does here. Because there was a history with this particular place. 22 to, to 31, John chapter 10. At that time, the feast of the dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple of the portico of Solomon. So He was in this exact same spot. The Jews then gathered around Him and were saying to Him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in My Father's name, they testify of Me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And then look at this. The Jews picked up stones again to stone Him. And if you... Look further down in 39. It says, Therefore they were seeking again to seize Him and He eluded their grasp. What's the significance? Well, this very spot, they were going to kill Him. They were going to stone Jesus. And, and, and I wonder if Peter and John were there. And I wonder if, if they're thinking, oh wow, you know, it's one thing to gather as believers in Jesus Christ, to praise Him, to worship Him, to pray in this Solomon's portico or... <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Some people call it Solomon's Colonnade. Some people call it Solomon's Portico. This particular area. It's one thing to do that among believers. It's an entirely different thing to actually preach the Gospel to, to Jewish people 
that could take what he said as the wrong thing and look at this as what? As, as blasphemy and want to stone them right there and then. So, so I believe that, man, it would have been easy for Peter to just say, whoa, <laughs> sorry. But instead, what does he do? He looks at this as an opportunity. As God has come and he's, and he's gathered this crowd. And, and he hasn't just gathered them together. He's, he's brought them to the place where it says that they were what? Full of amazement. That, that means that they are astonished and alarmed. They, they can't figure this out. They're utterly astounded. Astounded. And so what does Peter do? He looks at this as an opportunity. And, and what he does is he gives them a correction. Look at verse 12. When Peter saw this, no doubt he's, he's talking about the reaction they have to this guy that's clinging on to them. He replied to the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we had made him walk? Peter just doesn't get it, right? They're, they're looking at, at this at this guy who's clinging on to him and he's kind of, well, well what do you mean? What, what, what's so alarming about this? Your God is my God, the God of Israel. The God of Israel is known to have done miraculous things throughout history. You know as well as I know that that is the case. And yet, look at this. You, you guys are amazed. Why are you, what, gazing at us? That's the same word used back in, in, in Acts 1. In Acts 1.10, where, where, where they're, what, they're, they're gazing up at the ascended Christ. And he says, what? He says, as if by our own power. This is might, strength, force, capability. This is the same word used of Christ talking about the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit will come, what will happen? will come with power. Peter knew exactly where this power was coming from. And he knew that it wasn't him. And that he knew that it wasn't his power, but it was Christ's power working in and through him. And he also knew that it wasn't what his piety. Piety is, is, is a devoutness or a godliness or, or some sort of good character that a person has. And, and Peter is saying, it's, it's not because of anything that I am. So what is he doing? It's like I said at the beginning. He is recognizing that they're all gazing at him. And that they're all enamored with what Peter had just done. And yet he's trying to take their gaze off of him and put that gaze up on Christ. And isn't that what you and I should do at every opportunity? That's why I was so upset with that opportunity in in our car. It was an opportunity to point my family to Christ, but instead Jason got in the way. Here, praise the Lord, Peter doesn't get in the way. He recognizes it. And he he takes their misdirected gaze and gazes them up on the Holy One, the Righteous One. So he's corrected them and he's taken their their, their gaze off of himself and he's trying to place it onto Christ. And and how does he do that? He does that with this, the, the proclamation. Look at verse 13. What does he say? Look look at how he starts. He could have started in a whole bunch of different ways, but he starts with this. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified His servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. As Peter gives this proclamation, really what he's doing is he's going to proclaim 
these three these three truths, these three different aspects of, of, of really, this is, this is doctrine. This is teaching that, that we all need to understand. First, what does he got? He goes at the glory of Christ. And, and then he's gonna, he's gonna back that up and he's gonna interject some thoughts that have to do with what? The sinfulness of man. And he's gonna direct that right at his hearers. And then he's gonna go into, to finally, and we'll see this in verse 16, the right response to the gospel. What is this supposed to bring them to? And, and we're going to see in verse 19 next week that ultimately what he's bringing them to is to repentance. But before he, he, he gets to that aspect, he, he wants to what? He, he wants to honor Christ and he wants to elevate Christ by revealing the glory of Christ. And it's seen first here in this statement. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers. Notice he goes right at these two aspects of God that would be very well known by these Jews that are listening to him. That one, God is the God of promise, and two, God is the God of their particular nation. God is the God of promise. That that goes right to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why? Because that's speaking of the Abrahamic covenant. That's, That's speaking of Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, that they would be very familiar with. That God had enacted this covenant through Abraham that what? He was, he was going to make his name great. He was going to give him a great land. And it, through him the whole world would be blessed. All of those things, but not just that. He also wants them to understand this is the God of our nation. And I think we could point that even back to Moses in Exodus 3. Remember when he sees the burning bush. And he approaches the burning bush and, and God tells him, hey, take off your sandals because the ground you're walking on is, is holy ground. He does that. But then do you remember how, how God then states who he is? How he explains who it is that's talking to him. He says it this way, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And when Moses hears this, do you know what he does? He, he's afraid to even look at God. Man, these things are significant because it shows that that is their God. This, you are His nation, His people. And, and might I say that we worship and serve the same God as the Jews. That their God is our God. They just don't know our Savior. Right? Everything in the Old Testament, they, they would totally agree with us on. Except for maybe when you get to Isaiah 53. And we understand that that is a representation of Christ, which is seen throughout even this, these verses here, pointing to that. So, so what's Peter doing? Peter is unashamedly saying, look, your God, the Jewish God, my God, he's at work in a fresh new way for his people right now. And how is he at work? He's at work first by glorifying his servant Jesus. That's what he's done. He's glorified him. That This literally means to, to cause to have splendid greatness to clothe in splendor, to speak of something as being unusually fine and deserving honor. It's, it's where we get the word eulogy from, to speak well of. What, what I find interesting is you hardly ever see God doing the glorifying. Usually it's flipped the other way. God is the one receiving the glory and the praise, right? But here we, we see it flipped that God is actually giving glory and praise and the only one that God can give glory and praise to is Himself. 
So in essence, what he is doing is he is connecting Jesus with God, with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he's trying to connect this for them. And he does this also by revealing these titles for Christ. When he, when he talks about that he's a servant and he's going to go into him being holy and righteous, these aren't just characteristics. These aren't just adjectives that he, that he throws out. These are literal titles for Christ. It, it, it means more when he calls him a servant than, than just the fact that, that he's a, a slave or a child or something like that. It's the fact that this is a title for who Christ is, who he represented, that he was someone who was commissioned by God and served God. And, and notice, look at verse 26 of chapter 3. Peter starts off his sermon with, with preaching a Christ who is the servant of God, and he finishes this sermon with the same terminology. Wanting them to know that, that Jesus was God's servant. And I believe all of this points to Isaiah 52 and 53, where he says this in 26. For you, for you first, speaking of the Jews that he's talking to, God raised up His servant and sent Him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. So we see that, that this is a, a, a title. This is to exalt Christ where to the position where He should be. To get their focus off of Peter who is nothing and put the focus onto Jesus who is everything. But notice too that, that there's another title that, that we might miss. And, and that title is, is this one, His Servant Jesus. It's His very name. I think oftentimes we hear Jesus so much that we forget the significance behind the name. This is from the Hebrew word Joshua. And do you know what Joshua means? What it literally means? It means the Lord is salvation. So Jesus' name, it means Savior. It means saving one. And, and that's what the idea is. Do you, do you know that, that this is the most often title used in the New Testament? Over 800 times. The Messiah is called Jesus. This wasn't a name that Mary and Joseph chose. This is a name given to them. Why? Because it has significance. Because it is His title. But in the middle of this proclamation of, of revealing that this indeed is the promised one, that this indeed is the servant that, that Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53 talks about, in the middle of that, he, he, he interjects this, this idea of the sinfulness of man. And, and, and why is that? Because Peter knows in order for someone to become saved, they must understand they are lost. They must understand that they are a sinner and that they fall short of what God would require for them to come into His presence, right? And so, so then he goes at this. And, and, and what does he say? Right after he, he says that, that he's a servant and his name is Jesus, then he says this, the one whom you delivered and disowned. That, that word you there is, is, is emphasized in the Greek. It's in the emphatic position, which means that, that it's placing a whole bunch of emphasis on the you. And, and it's in the plural, meaning all of you that, that I'm preaching to right now. Saying that you delivered and disowned this Jesus, this servant. Why is that significant? Because unlike any other Jew living at this time, 
these particular Jews were there. They were there. They saw the miracles. They heard Jesus' teaching. And instead of repenting, turning to the Lord, what do they do? First, they deliver Him. To turn over, to give up. To hand over into the custody of of someone else. This is actually picturing Isaiah 53, 12 as well. That that is what will happen to the Lord's anointed servant. And what did they do? They disowned him to disclaim an association with a person, to deny that person. And, and, and that's what they do. And, and when did they do this? They did this actually in the presence of Pilate. It means literally in his face with him there. And what was the occasion for when they were in the presence of Pilate? It was when he had decided to release him. Do, do you know that, that, that Luke actually says, three different times that Pilate wanted to release Jesus. And and all the Gospels together, it it says that Pilate said Jesus was innocent six times. And yet, what do they do? They don't release Him. They stop Him from releasing Him, actually. And and that's where Peter's going to go. Isn't it strange that, that in his first sermon, I thought he was pretty pointed telling them in, in essence, hey, you turned, you turned Jesus over, men who crucified Him and killed Him, and you killed Him. Now, now He's actually ramping it up, and He's saying, oh, it's not only that, there was actually a man who had the authority to let Him go. And that man actually wanted to let Him go. But instead of letting Him go, you guys murdered Him. And you stopped that open door that this man was giving Him to walk through. And so now Peter go, he not only goes on even further into talking about the sinfulness of man, but he actually goes on in, in, in 14 and he explains a little bit more about the true characteristic of who Jesus was. I think honestly showing a stark contrast between the Jews that he was preaching to and the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at 14. But you disown the holy and righteous one and ask for a murderer to be granted to you. You disowned. You you gave up. You disclaimed any association with this one. This one that is what? This is again another title for him. The holy one. The pure. The perfect. The one that is worthy of God. Isn't it interesting to note? Do you know what the Israelite people are called? The Jews. They're called God's holy people. They were His chosen vessel to reach the world through what? Through their holy lives. They were supposed to be God's spokesman. God's vessel in order to reach the world. But instead, what did they do? They failed. And so now Jesus comes and and He's a perfect representation of what that holy life looks like. And He lives that holy life in plain sight in front of them. And then when it comes time for them to release Him, they don't. They crucify Him. But not only is is He the Holy One, but He is also the Righteous One, signifying an utter fulfillment of the law. That there is nothing that He has done, that He is innocent of any crime. Uh, Again, this points back to, to them. And the fact that they obviously did not live up to the law. And they knew that. And they would see the contrast between the two of these. And on top of all of that, what Peter is saying here, and, and, and to say this in, in the first century, to say that a man is holy and righteous, 
would be total heresy. And, and yet, Peter does this. Why? Because he recognizes the opportunity that is presented before him. And, and he says, and, and you ask for a murderer to be granted to you. No doubt he's talking about Barabbas at the end of 14 there. And it's interesting that Barabbas' name literally means son of father. And Jesus was who? He was the son of the father. I think contrasting that as well. What did you do? You let a murderer go. And look at what it says in, in verse 15. As he, as he contrasts the letting of, of, of a murderer go free and killing Jesus, he, he makes it even more apparent here. Because this wasn't just any normal person that, that, that they crucified. And this wasn't any normal person that they, that they let go. But put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. Prince of life could also be translated as the author of life. That, that word has both nuances. And, and I believe that, that both of those ideas are, are caught up in this. And, and on the one hand, he is the author of life. Because all life originates with Him. In particular, eternal life. And He could be considered the Prince of Life because He was the first among many who will raise from the dead. And so, in essence, He's the one that, that's able to offer that eternal life. And, and this goes along with what, what is written in Hebrews. Hebrews 12, 2. That, that He is what the, the beginner, the author and finisher of our faith. And in, in Hebrews 2.10, that He is the author of salvation. And, and this goes along with what Jesus Himself said about Himself. Right? In John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No other way to the Father but through Me. John 11.25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in Me shall live even if He dies. Just think about the magnitude and irony of what Peter is saying. He's saying, you Jews killed the one who holds eternal life and you actually let a guy go who was a murderer in order to roam your streets. That doesn't make any sense at all. But in this, but he also shows the significance of, of what God thought about this. As he says that, that God raised him from the dead. So, so we see the contrast between what they thought was going to happen and what God actually brings about. That they thought that they were killing him, but... But in reality, it, it wasn't successful. And so what we've seen is, 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 is Peter basically, he, he makes four charges against his Jewish audience. Stacking them up against them to show that, that man, for all accounts, they are guilty. And, and that is the Jews of Jerusalem handed Jesus over to be killed. They disowned him before Pilate. They asked for a murder to be released instead of the author of life. And they caused the death of the author of life. But having made their guilt so conclusive and so known to them, does he then just leave them at that? Or what does he do? No, now, now he switches. And he goes to what the right response should be to what he is presenting to them. And ultimately, what he says in verse 19, therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away is, is where he's going to go and what we'll see next week. But, but look at what he says in, in verse 16 and we'll close with this. And on the basis of faith in His name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. 
And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. There's two things being emphasized in this, in this last verse. On the one hand, you have faith being emphasized, and then on the other hand, the name of Jesus, his, his literal name, is repeated two times, and then his name, Jesus, is, is there one time. And what the translation don't really make clear to us is what is being held as the subject of this sentence. What is the most important thing? Is, is it faith or is it the name of Jesus? And it's the name of Jesus that is, that is being highlighted. That is what the subject of the sentence is. Because we can't have faith in nothing. It's the object of the faith, right? And that's what Peter was trying to do. He's trying to get their, their focus off of himself. Man, don't trust in me. I'm just a man. Trust in Him. Because He's much more than a man. He's God. Which in essence is the Gospel, Right? And I, and I have to let you know that, it, that as far as this verse goes, man, it's, it's widely debated as to what the significance, who the person is, that the faith that they're talking about. And on the basis of faith in His name, whose faith? Is that the faith of Peter and John? Or is that, or is that the faith of this healed man? And many would say, oh no, this has got to be the, the, the faith of Peter. Because this healed man, he, he wasn't expecting anything but gold and silver. And what he got was so much more. And yet, I'm not so certain you could look at this and you can make a case and say, well, there, there are places in Scripture where, where Jesus wasn't going to do this or do that because they didn't have any faith. And perhaps this man, after watching Jesus walk back and forth, watching maybe even the, the, the church that could have been meeting in, in this particular area already, and seeing them gather and meet, that maybe on this day, this is the day where he placed his, his faith in Christ. I think what, what's important here, and what God is, is, is trying to reveal to us, isn't so much exactly whose faith is, is being talked about, because that's not clear. But it's the fact that it's faith alone that saves whether we're talking about the faith of Peter or we're talking about the faith of this lame man, look at what it says. It says, okay, by faith. And then it also tells us where that faith came from. And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health. That that faith actually came from Jesus. And at this particular day, that somehow by God's grace, Jesus gave him this faith to where his blind eyes were opened. And now he finally got it and everything connected. Oh yes, now I understand about this Jesus. Now I understand. And, and if you think about it, do you remember what Peter told him? He said, stand or walk on the basis of what? In the name of Jesus. He didn't say anything about God, but when he worships and he stands and he leaps and he jumps, what was he doing? He was praising God because he equated them as one and the same. Peter hadn't told him to to stand or to walk on the basis of God. He told them in particular for Jesus. But Jesus, but when he did this and started worshiping, he was doing it in the name of God, equating that he understood. So what Peter is really meaning here as far as an implication is, is that just as the lame man was healed by faith in Christ, so too the crowd can only be forgiven of their sin by turning to Christ in faith and repentance. And I have to wonder if, if maybe there's some here this morning. 
that have never come to that place. That, that perhaps it's never made sense to you. That you never really understood what it meant faith alone. What, what, what is that? It's the fact that this man had nothing else to offer. That this was the gift that God gave him. And that Jesus granted him even that faith. That gift of repentance, if you want to term it that way. And that that is perhaps what God is doing in your heart today. Working in your life and allowing you to see, oh my, I need a Savior. Because I am a sinner just like these Jews. And if I keep on going the way that I am going, I'm going to spend forever in hell, eternally separated from God. But you can turn and repent. As Look at verse 19. This is such a cool verse. We're going to look at it next week. Repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That happens as a result of placing your faith and confidence in Christ. If you haven't done that, the Lord is causing you to do that this morning. And we would love to talk with you after the service. So you can come up and please talk with us. So you can get plugged into the church and we can continue to love on you and and, and give you opportunity to read more scripture and spend time with, with more believers and just grow and grow and grow. So what do we do with this? Just two things to consider, two points to ponder this week. Number one, consider Peter's courage to stand up and preach the gospel to the large crowd which gathered around them. Even though he recognized fully where the spot was, what could have happened. I recognize that, man, it's scary to preach the gospel to someone. Maybe a neighbor that you see all the time. And and yet, is is that what Christ is calling you to do this week? Let's pray that He would give us courage and boldness this week to to share our faith with whoever the Lord brings along to us. Number two, this healed man was saved not because of the power of Peter. Peter makes that clear. Tries to get their eyes off of himself and their focus onto Christ. But he's saved by placing his faith in the name of Jesus Christ. Consider faith and how it played out in your justification and salvation, how God brought you to Christ. Consider that this week. Do you truly understand what it means to be saved by by faith alone? And what that looks like and how incredible it is that that God saves us on the basis of our faith and gives us the the gift of salvation that costs His Son His life and so much. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank You. Thank You for Your Word and for how rich and deep it is, Lord, and how it speaks of You. And how it reminds us of our need for You. And how Your grace manifests itself in our lives. We pray that we would go out from here renewed, refreshed, with the understanding of how great and glorious and how powerful You are. That when we go and we share others with You, it is not us doing it, but You are the power behind anything that we share that comes from Your Word. So give us a boldness and confidence as we go out this morning and a fresh glimpse of you. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. 
It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.